Would you like me to do something? Is that better? All right. Um, so, uh, as I said, I was looking at this pastor's forum, and there was a lot of debate as to whether or not they should celebrate Christmas morning uh, in church with a Christmas service. Um, and it um, kind of was surprising how many churches aren't going to have services today. Um, and one of my friends uh, from, from, from college made a comment that it's kind of, um, it's kind of counterintuitive, isn't it? I mean, we're supposed to say that Christ, or we say Christ is the reason for the season, but then we cancel church for it. Um, so we're, I'm glad that we didn't do that and that we are committed to uh, having a, a service here. We're going to try and keep it a shorter service in respect of your time, but I know you came to worship, and so that's what we're doing this morning, worshiping our great God. I love the song that Chloe played, uh, Oh Holy Night, and there's a line in that that goes very well with our sermon this morning. Uh, it says there, a thrill of hope, the weary soul rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morning. You see, that's what Christ gave to us, a thrill, the thrill of hope. You know, there are so many weary individuals in our world today and have been since Adam and Eve uh, sinned in the garden. That, that weariness of soul weighs us down. It, it just kind of prohibits us from living life to the fullness. But Christ came to give us hope. And that thrill of hope is what brings the soul alive again. So this morning, I want to start by asking you a question. Feel free to shout out the answer. Um, Actually, it's going to be a couple of questions. The first one is easy. How many of you have already opened your Christmas presents this morning? All right. Um, Were you happy with what you got? The second that's kind of the second question. Here's another one, also pretty easy. Did you get what you were hoping for as your Christmas present this year? Some of you aren't going to commit to that, right? Some of you are saying, yes, absolutely. Some of you, eh, maybe not so much. But anyway, um, I don't know if kids still do this or not. I, I know they don't do it the same way. But when I was growing up, uh, we used to get these things in the mail, they were called Christmas catalogs, okay? Uh, you would get it from Sears and Roebuck. You would get it from Montgomery Wards. We used to call it Monkey and Wards, by the way. Montgomery Wards, J.C. Penney. All of the big uh, stores would send out these Christmas catalogs. And my mom would give us the catalogs, and she would say, look through the catalog and circle what you want, Okay, um, and you know, you could put your initials by it or you could do whatever you wanted to do to draw attention to, yes, this is the present that I want and my na- name was next to it or whatever. Um, <clears throat> and we understood that we weren't going to get everything that we wanted, but we had a wish list, things that we were hoping for that we would get when we opened up our gifts on Christmas morning. Anybody with me on that? You guys remember doing that? Okay, uh, those Christmas catalogs, they were the bomb, weren't they? They were just amazing. You, you know, everything that you could ever imagine were in those catalogs. You know where I went every dime? To the gun section, to, you know, the, the cowboys and Indians section where you could, and you get this whole get up, this whole outfit that you could wear. Um, that's what my Christmas presents always were until I got a little bit older. And then it was like bikes and things like that. But anyway, um, we had these wish lists that we could draw up, and my mom would look through the catalog. Now, listen, we weren't wealthy by any stretch of the word, 
And, and so she would look over and agonize, what one gift am I going to get for my kids? You know, we each got one big gift. In our minds, it was a big gift. Uh, many people probably wouldn't have thought it was a big gift, but it was to us. And, and so we were, we were very excited about opening up and seeing if we got what we were hoping for. Now, if you haven't opened your presents yet today, is anyone pretty certain that the gift you're going to open later on is that one gift that you've been hoping for? Maybe you haven't been hoping for a gift. Uh, maybe you just take whatever you get, okay? But anyway, we, we this morning are going to take a look at the hope of Christmas. And this hope is a real hope. Even if you don't unwrap that present that you're looking for that fulfills your hopes for the Christmas season, I want you to leave here this morning with a great hope, knowing that you and I, as the children of God, have hope that is amazing hope. Paul calls it over in Titus, uh, he calls it that blessed hope the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me further introduce our sermon this morning with the lyrics of a song by Matthew West. The song is called The Hope of Christmas. I heard it a couple years ago, and then I look forward to hearing it every year. It's on my playlist. I like it when it comes on the radio. But here it is, Matthew West. Take me back to eight years old, the little kid on a dead-end road with a candle flicker in one hand and dad's hand in the other. Take me back to silent night. My heart was full and the world was right. Because right now the world looks nothing like those innocent Decembers. These days, peace on earth is hard to find. And I need to remind you one more time. You're still the hope of Christmas. You're still the light when the world looks dark. You're still the hope of Christmas. And you're still the hope of my heart. Watch the snowflakes falling down like a blanket on this town. For a moment, we can hardly see the pain this year has brought us. May the sick find healings touch. May hatred's fight be one with love. And may every heart make room for you, the one who came to save us. Because you're still the hope of Christmas. You're still the light when the world looks dark. You're still the hope of Christmas. And you're still the hope of my heart. You are the hope of Christmas. I bowed my head to pray tonight, felt my little girl by my side. She slipped her tiny hand in mine, and we both talked to you. And it took me back, excuse me, to eight years old, my daddy's hand and the story told about a heaven's love and a manger low, and a promise that's still true. You're still the hope of Christmas. You're still the light when the world looks dark. You're still the hope of Christmas. You're still the hope of my heart. You're still the hope of Christmas. You're the light when the world looks dark. We have hope in Christ. Hope that the world is looking for. So you and I need to be that light that shines in the dark place. So as we look this morning in the pages of Scripture... We're going to see the hope of Christmas. What is that hope? What is the hope of Christmas? Now, look at your note page because you won't see that very much like this ever again. 
Okay, there's only three notes, three, three main points, okay? And, and yes, you can say, all right, three points, we're going to get out early. Yes, we hope so, that's the goal, all right? The hope of Christmas, what is the promise of hope? Well, the promise of hope is that the Messiah will come. Last night, we read uh, several scripture passages, and one of those was the promise Uh, of the Virgin Mary giving birth to the Savior Jesus Christ. I mentioned how every young Jewish girl wanted to be that girl who would give birth to the Messiah. That promise was the promise that kept Israelites going when when things looked bleak and when days looked dark. They hoped for the Messiah. And as we get started this morning, I want us to think about this idea of a promise First, let me define the promise that we want to focus on this morning. And the promise, that definition is this, the express assurance on which expectation is based. Let me read it to you one more time. The express assurance on which expectation is based. You see, when you and I have a need, the expectation becomes more and more evident, For example, something happens and someone, maybe a doctor or a first responder, uh, may tell you, we're going to fix this, I promise. Now, most of the time, those people are told not to make those kinds of promises, right? Because they don't know if they can keep those promises. But you see, way back in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve sinned, on that day when Satan tempted them, they gave in to the temptation, they sinned. And all of the world was thrown into chaos. Adam and Eve, for the first time, they were separated from God. God came down to walk with them in the cool of the day, which was his custom with them at that time. And what were they doing? They were hiding. Because they knew that they had sinned. They knew that they broke the commandment that God gave to them. They knew that something was different. And what was different was they lost that fellowship that they had with God. And God came down and he had a conversation. You know the conversation. The conversation included Adam and Eve and Satan. We see the consequences of that sin. And that consequences was that all mankind was plunged into separation from God. You see, they didn't know that that was going to happen. They didn't know, they didn't anticipate that all of mankind forever in the future would be separated from God because of the choice they made on that day. But that was the consequence. And before we give them too much of a difficult time, let me say this. I'm sure that if it would have been Tim and Barb in the Garden of Eden or Nick and Cindy in the Garden of Eden or any other one of us couples that are here, we would have done the same thing. We would have sinned as they sinned. We would have failed to be obedient because in our own lives, we fail to be obedient even today, don't we? We struggle, we sin, we, we confess, and God gives us grace and forgives us. But you see, from that moment on, all of mankind, every individual is born into sin. What a desperate situation. What a great need that is there for all people. And you know what? The greater the need, the more we long for that expectation, the more expectation we have for that need to be filled and that that burden to be lifted. The more we crave hope. When the need gets greater, the more hope we seem to have. The first promise of hope was given on that day in the garden when Adam and Eve sinned. God said this, 
He said, I will put enmity between you and the woman talking to Satan, talking to the serpent, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, since that very first promise where God said to Satan, you're going to be defeated, your head is going to be crushed, even though you'll bruise the heel of the seed of the woman, that promise was given. And ever since that promise, there's a scarlet thread, if you will, that runs through scriptures. That scarlet thread is the promise of hope. Now, listen to the explanation of that scarlet thread. Theologians and Bible students sometimes refer to the scarlet thread running through the Bible. By this they mean that the Bible's theme is Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for redemption for mankind. The blood of Christ runs throughout the entire Bible symbolically. It it is seen in the animals killed in Eden to provide garments for Adam and Eve, the ram that took Isaac's place on the altar of Moriah, the Passover lamb, the institution of the sacrificial system, the scarlet rope of Rahab, and the thousands of years of sacrifices performed at the tabernacle and temple. The scarlet thread runs all the way up to John the Baptist's declaration, Look! Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You see, my friends, that is the only thing that fulfills and satisfies the hope that we have. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And at the foot of the cross where Jesus finally says, it is finished. The greatest words in all of history. When Jesus hung on the cross... Bearing your sin and my sin, and he looks through the corridors of time, and he looks back at Satan, and he says, it is finished. You know what that was? That was the crushing of the head of Satan. Even though Jesus was on the cross, I picture Jesus as stepping on Satan's head and just squishing it into the ground with all the satisfaction that only Jesus could have at that moment in time. The head of Satan was crushed, and the hope of mankind was brought fresh and new back to us. The hope of the Messiah coming, and that hope we see is in the person, the person of hope, Jesus, the babe in a manger. That scarlet thread, as we see from the announcement of Jesus' birth by the angels to Mary and Joseph and to the shepherds, is the theme of Scripture. There was a hint of who this person is in the conversation that God had with Adam and Eve. Just a little hint. And, and, And God said, I will put enmity between her offspring and your offspring. From that moment on, Eve had hope. In fact, if we were to read the very next chapter, chapter 4, verse 1, Eve says, I have gotten a man-child from the Lord. I don't think there could have been any more excitement than that in her life. She said, I got this child. You know what she was thinking, right? The offspring that was going to crush the head of the serpent, crush the head of Satan. Hope restored. I've gotten a man-child. Woo! Thank you, God. Well, we know that that wasn't the man-child that was to come. There was one later on, much, much later, who would come. But we didn't know that. They didn't know that at this time. 
This offspring who was going to crush the head of Satan, we know because we look back, is Jesus Christ. And you know what? God planned that in eternity past. He didn't, on that day in the garden, when Adam and Eve sinned, throw his hands up in the air and say, Oh no! What am I going to do? They blew it! That wasn't his response. His response was to come down, converse with them, and give them hope. And tell them that the offspring of woman would crush the head of the serpent. Now on Sunday nights, Ben has been leading us through the history of the Jewish people. Uh, He recently shared with us about the covenant that God initiated between himself and Abraham. Let me remind you just a few verses of those covenant promises. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, the last part says, And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. You know what that is? That's that scarlet thread continuing to be knit throughout the pages of Scripture. He promised Abraham that all of the nations of the world be, would be blessed through him. And again in verse 22, or chapter 22, verse 18, we read, And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you, Abraham, have obeyed God's voice. Again, the blessing of all the nations coming through an individual, through a specific line, through a specific nation. And then in chapter 26, verse 4, we read, I, God's talking here, will multiply your Abraham's offspring as the stars of the heaven and will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be what? You can guess it shall be blessed. Yes, all mankind is going to be blessed by this covenant relationship that God has entered into with Abraham, and you and I are part of the nations who will be blessed. As that torch passes from Abraham to Jacob through Isaac, we see the covenant confirmed and the promise elaborated on in Genesis 28, where we again see in verse 14 that all the world will be blessed through the seed of Jacob. This blessing, of course, is in a person, and that person is identified for us as we get to the Gospels. Now, earlier in the service, Jim Jeffalone read several passages of Scripture. Those passages were the promises of the Messiah to come, and Jesus, they were made about him in the Old Testament. They were all fulfilled in the New Testament verses that he read for us. Around here, we sing a song called, uh, Hope Has a Name. Now, as I was Googling that, the, I wanted to get the lyrics for that song, you know what? I came across another song that is also called Hope Has a Name. It's a Christmas song sung by Christian Stanfill. Um, I, I, I had never heard it until I was working on this message. You should give it a listen to it. It's, it's called Hope Has a Name, but make sure you put Christian with a K, Stanfill, in there to find it. But here's the chorus. It goes like this. The light of the world who broke... Oh, sorry. Hope has a name, Emmanuel. The light of the world who broke through the darkness. All hail the King, Emmanuel. The light of the world, the glory of heaven. What a great reminder. Our Savior Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, is the King of heaven and the King of the universe and the King of our lives. He's the light of the world and the glory of heaven. But we don't just sing Hope Has a Name at Christmas time around here. There's another song by River Valley Worship, worship and um, 
we're going to sing that this morning. In fact, we're going to sing it right now, uh, and we're going to sing about the hope that Jesus has for us. Mark, you're just standing there ready. Uh, would you come and lead us in this song? Um, surprise, surprise. Barb's, gonna, Barb's got the microphone up here as well. She's going to play, and we're going to sing together, Hope Has a Name. Thank you. our Savior, Jesus Christ. What a great reminder that we don't have to live this life hopelessly like those who don't know our Savior. Jesus Christ is the one who leads us to our last thought this morning, and that's salvation. And salvation is the privilege of hope. Not only do we have salvation in the here and now, but we have eternal life. Jesus came to earth with a very specific purpose. 
And that purpose was to carry out God's plan. The Christmas song, The Birthday of a King, and we're going to sing that as our closing song, reminds us what that purpose is. It says this, "'Twas a humble birthplace, but oh, how much God gave to us that day. From the manger bed, what a path has led, what a perfect holy way. Alleluia, oh, how the angels sing. Alleluia, how it rang. And the sky was bright with a holy night, "'Twas the birthday of a king. We know that Jesus came. He was born of a virgin. He was placed in a manger. He was worshiped by the shepherds. He was worshiped by the wise men. And that babe, from the moment he was born, from the moment that, as John says, took on flesh and lived among us, every step that baby took was heading to the cross. God knew that. God, that was God's plan. Jesus knew that. That was the reason he came, and he faithfully carried out that plan. Remember the conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus in John chapter 3? He said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, for whoever believes in him should not perish, but what? Have eternal, have everlasting life. Now get this, verse 17 goes on to say, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. You know what, friends? We have a privilege, and that privilege is salvation. We don't have a privilege because of the color of our skin. We don't have a privilege because of the country we live in. We don't have a privilege because of the bottom line of our bank account. We have a privilege because of the hope that God gives to us. The hope that Jesus Christ has provided everlasting life. Paul speaks of this very same privilege over in Romans chapter 5. And he says this, For when we were still without strength, that's every one of us, no strength. Most of us know what it means, unless you're still very young in life. Most of us know what it means not to have any strength. From time to time, we get sick or we get to a place where maybe there's an injury or whatever. And, you know, my wife's struggling with a rotator cuff issue right now. I've been there. You know, you can't even pick up a, a gallon of milk and put it in the fridge. You just can't. You can't do it. There's no strength. There's no ability to do it. For when we were without strength in due time... Christ died for the ungodly. He goes on to explain the significance of that in verse 7 where he says, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Now think about this for a moment. What is a righteous man? A righteous man, I think of a righteous man much like um, a guy like Nicodemus. Okay, uh, John chapter 3, Jesus calls Nicodemus the teacher in Israel. Okay, Nicodemus knew what was right and knew what was wrong, right? He knew what he should do. He knew how he should live life. He was the teacher. He knew the Old Testament scriptures as well or better than anyone else. For scarcely for a righteous man, a man like Nicodemus, will one die. Hmm. So if you're hoping on the Bible, the law, to keep you uh, from going to hell, and that's all you're hoping on, the information that's in this book, you might be in trouble. He goes on to say in verse 7, Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. Now think about this. What is a good man? We know what a righteous man is, and many times we confuse the idea of a righteous man with a good man. We would say, oh, he's a good person. He always does what is right. Oh, she's a good person. She doesn't do very much wrong. So 
that's not what a good person is. We get that word good, we get the word philanthropy from that word good. Okay, So a good person is somebody who has personally benefited me, given me something, done something for me, uh, treated me nicely, treated me well. I might have lacked something, and they said, hey, I'll take care of it. I'll, I'll meet that need for you. So for a good person, someone who has done something good for me, profitable for me, I might, small chance, little possibility, I might be willing to die for them. But, don't you love that word? But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were what? Still sinners, not righteous, not doing what the Bible says, not good, not helping anyone out, not doing something that will be beneficial to somebody else, not righteous, not good. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Wow, you want to talk about a privilege? Not because of what we've done, not because of who we are, but because of what Christ accomplished on the cross of Calvary. God demonstrated his own love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You might say, that's pretty impressive, but verse 9 says, much more than, there's more to it, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Uh, Can I get a hallelujah for that? Safe from the judgment of, of God on sinners. We will be saved from the wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Woo! To God be the glory. I couldn't do any of that in and of myself. I couldn't accomplish it. It's pretty clear that the amazing love of God for his creation is what provides us with a privilege. We were helpless. We were hopeless. But God worked his plan. You know what that means. God made everything come to pass just the way he planned it for our good, for our benefit, for our salvation, not just in the here and now, but for all of eternity. As helpless and hopeless, uh, we relied on Jesus to accomplish his plan. He obeyed the plan. He shed his blood. He laid down his life so that he could reconcile lost man to his father. His death, my friends, purchased our salvation. And his resurrection secured that salvation and not just for our time here on earth but for all of eternity what a great god paul describes this great privilege in chapter 2 of ephesians where he says but god who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in trespasses made us alive together with christ By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. You know this part. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and it is the gift not of works, it is the gift of God, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus Four good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, did you catch all the privileges that we have in that passage of Scripture? Let me just quickly tell you what they are. The first privilege is he made us alive. You know what that means? If he made us alive, what were we before then? Dead. Dead. Yep, we were dead. Isn't it a privilege to be alive? 
had is he made us alive. Privilege number one. Privilege number two, he raised us up and made us sit together in heavenly places. You know what that means? Our salvation is already complete. As far as God concerned, we are in the heavenly places with his son, Jesus Christ. Number three, he shows us the amazing riches of his grace. We like to sing that song, well, some of us do anyway, amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. That grace, it surely is amazing grace. It's beyond our wildest imagination. We get to see the amazing riches of his grace. And then verse four, if those things weren't enough, he saved us. He saved us. And then, I like this one, he created good works for us to do. That's a privilege that we have from God to do the good works that he created for us to do. And you notice how he said that in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. We are his workmanship. In other words, he put us all together just the way he wanted us to be put together. Why? To do the good works that God created for us. You see, in eternity past, God created good works for you to do. For you to do. And if you don't do those good works, nobody else is going to do them. He created them for you to do those good works. We were created to do good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. When we're doing those good works that he's called us to do, we are doing what God planned for us, just like Jesus did what God planned for him to do when he came to earth and he went to the cross and he died for our sins. As the song says, there is great hope in his name. We will never be the same because the love that conquers fear will bring the joy of heaven here. There is great hope and power in his name. Last night we talked about the problem of sin in the garden, how Adam and Eve plunged all of mankind into that hopeless condition. But God, in his great wisdom and love, had a plan that would give mankind hope. That hope came into the world on Christmas Day. Jesus was born. The angels announced his birth. The shepherds worshipped him. Mary and Joseph complied to the plan that God had for them. God promised hope on that dreadful day in the garden, hope that the seed of woman would defeat Satan and bring redemption to mankind. That redeemer was the babe in the manger who went to the cross, who purchased our redemption. And because of the gift of salvation, God has given us new life, a relationship with God. We didn't have that before. God has given us not just a relationship with him, but that relationship leads us to heaven and the amazing riches of his great grace. And while we remain here on earth, God has called us to do good works that only we can do. So we want to be obedient to that call. Now, my friends, does that give you hope? It gives me hope. I hope it gives you hope as well. Uh, that's what hope looks like. The promise of God being fulfilled in the Son of God, giving you and I the right to become sons and daughters of the one true God. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you today. We thank you for the hope that is ours through Christ. What a blessing it is to know Christ as our Savior. I pray for anybody who might be here this morning who doesn't know Christ as their Savior, that today would be the day that they would put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Perhaps there's somebody watching online who 
you ordained that they would watch today to hear the good news, the hope that comes to us through our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you would work in the hearts and lives today. Those of us who know Christ as our Savior, may we leave here challenged to do those good works that you have called us to do, that you ordained in eternity past for us to do and to walk in. Father, help us to honor you with those works that we do and help us to look for the opportunities to share the gospel of Christ with others. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.